0: In a sermon series that we've entitled uh, Centered Church. And so thank you again uh, for gathering with us. We're worshiping with us here um, at Mission Church. We're excited that you're here and excited about the opportunity that we have uh, to know and to learn more about the Almighty God who has given us uh, this word. Um, when we look inside the book of 2 Timothy, even over the last several weeks, Uh, We've seen this contrast in people resting within the church, Um, that there are only really two types of people in the world, that there are the saved and that there are the unsaved. You can't kind of be a Christian. Either you are or you aren't. And resting with inside of the church, that there are those very people Some are true believers. They have truly been saved by Jesus, that his sovereign grace has been laid upon them, that the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to them. That's a theological word meaning given over to them, placed inside of them. And in contrast to that, there are those who are masquerading around as Christians within the church. Uh, They're false teachers and they can be found from pulpits to pews. And and they like to gossip and slander. They like to use God's word and twist it to accomplish their own uh, missions and goals. Uh, They like to lead people astray. They like to use either their charisma or their... Uh, ability to use words well in order to manipulate people within the church, leading them astray, away from Jesus, away from their leadership, causing great division within the church. And the Bible tells us here in Second Timothy that these um, men, these women who are these false teachers within their congregation, that they're going to continue on in uh, this process, that they will continue to be deceived, and they will continue to make other people uh, deceived. And yet Paul is writing to, the, to Timothy, the pastor of this church, excuse me, of this church, where this is taking place. and in doing so is trying to help encourage him, as Paul, uh, his mentor, uh, the person who planted this church in Ephesus is is about to be he, beheaded for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and his young pastor, this mentor mentee of his, is 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 struggling because again of all the conflict that is arising within the church, those who are being led astray, those who are um, teaching false teaching, those who are following false teachers, and that it's causing great conflict. And so Paul is encouraging this young man. And man, if you have not noticed anything in the world, whether that's on the television or just normal conversations or through social, social media, is that we all need a lot of encouragement. Uh, that we're a people in desperate need of encouraging words. Uh, there's enough negativity that is taking place. And so even, even more so within the church, that that is a, even a command that we see in Scripture, to encourage one another, to spur one on, another on in Christ's likeness. And we see this inside of this passage is, as Paul is saying, the, the example of the false teachers are going this way, Timothy. But you remember my example. You imitate me as I have imitated Jesus. You've watched me do this, you have paid attention to my teaching and my, uh, my life, you have watched me endure great persecutions for the cause of Christ, and so though I am about to be killed and tried and, and, and murdered for proclaiming the gospel, may it likewise be found in you, brother, that you would endure, that you would be found a faithful servant of the Lord. So Paul is going to continue in this exhortation of, of Timothy um, by not just being, saying follow faithful examples as we talked about last week, but be a faithful example. And then this week transitions, and in, in next week, this week will be faithful to the word, and then next week is faithful to preach the word. And so today we're really going to hone in on this idea of what does it mean to be faithful to the word of God? When it's so easy to stray from that faithfulness, and yet Paul is saying, brother, as you are becoming timid, maybe you're, you're, you're losing your boldness or your courage, or maybe you're being tempted to drift toward these false teachers or just go toward what is easy, Paul Like a good shepherd is putting his his shepherd's hook and staff around this brother and and pulling him back in to refocus him into God's word. We see here in our passage that was read to us today, uh, beginning in verse 14, or let's go back one verse to verse 13. It says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So again, he's, he's showing the process that, that someone's... Uh, life that it can be marked not just a a a flip up not just a mistake and not just a a blip on their radar but there is a full body of work that this is a consistent issue within these people's lives they are imposters they are deceived and they are deceiving others they're going to go from bad to worse that is going to continue on but then in verse 14, we see a connection word there. We see the word but. So he's going to transition. He's saying, this is the way that the false teachers are. But you, Timothy, but as for you, continue in the way that you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ jesus so in order for us to be faithful to the word it's it's important for us to be reminded this morning as paul reminded timothy that to be faithful to the word is it it doesn't just begin for many of us um, in adulthood unless that's when you become a christian but rather for timothy um, he was blessed to have a godly mama and a godly grandmother That Timothy had learned the sacred writing from childhood. You know, being married uh, to a teacher, having gone to a little bit of school and and learning about childhood development. I mean, how many of us have learned the importance of those early years within childhood? That that much of what is learned of a student, of a child, is, is in those very formative years. And so Paul is reminding this struggling brother, hey, re- remember that there are, there, are, there are going to be those that are going to drift from the scripture, but you continue. You continue continuing on. This is a, a, a consistent idea for you, Timothy. No, no, as they are drifting, as they are letting loose of their hands of God's word, you, Timothy, you hold on you abide in god's word you cling to these words because persecution is going to come the the lustful seduction of the things of this world is is not just for those participating in the things of the world but it is found right here in the local church that you are constantly i am constantly being seduced to to go wayward to become lazy, to, to give ourselves over to the, the very uh, addictive things of this world money, power, sexual immorality The list goes on and on and on as this culture around us continues to seemingly be um, a gorgeous woman with her hand stretched out, luring us in. And we often take bites. Don't do it, Timothy. Don't do it, Mission Church. Do not be seduced by sin, Satan, and death. But you continue. But if there's a continuation, that must mean at some time that there was a participation in it. So he's not telling someone who's foreign to this concept, but he's rather bringing him back to say, man, you've got to stay in this word. Well, what's the sacred writing that Paul is referring to here? He's actually referring to the way in which, um, again, by this time, the New Testament is in the process of being written. And yes, Peter will call Paul's writing scripture. There's no doubt about that. Um, We even see Paul quote uh, the Old Testament, but Paul will also quote the writings of Luke in certain passages, So we know that some of these things are being done, and and they're no less Scripture. But by the time that Timothy was a little boy, guess what he was learning? He was was learning the Gospel through the Old Testament. See, as some would like to say, they would like to say in modern times, that, that maybe we need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. And yet that's not what the Scripture is saying. The scripture is saying, no, for this man, before the New Testament was ever even completed, and this Bible was the canonization of scripture that we have in our hands today. No, the the word of God, the Old Testament, memorized by, by many Jews or large sections of it, memorized, was being pumped from a faithful grandmother and a faithful mom into this young boy and every page pointing to the person and work of Jesus. And there was great hope in this. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 4, and Christ died for our sins, he was buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. The scriptures, scriptures mentioned here primarily are the scriptures of the Old Testament pointing toward the person and work of Jesus. See, brothers and sisters, we don't just need the red letters. We need all the letters. It is all God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, it's interesting, um, my wife and I are both reading through sections of the Old Testament, our personal quiet times, and um, you can always tell when Laura gets a little twerked about something uh, that she's reading, that it's really difficult to understand. Or some crazy story that's found within the Old Testament. And how do, we, how do we reconcile God's character with one, what has happened here, but simultaneously what God did and how he responded to it. It's, it's no less God's word, but man, this passage of scripture is extremely difficult to understand. And yet, it's no less God's word. It's all pointing towards Jesus. I do want to say something about parenting here. Parents, you are the primary teachers of your children. You are. You are. I am. Not the school system or the church. Parents, you are the primary primary educators of your kids, not not a school system and not the church. See, if if your children, brothers and sisters, parents, that if you're inside this room right now, if your child needs to be gossiped, the first line of defense is not you calling up the pastor to say, I need you to gospel my kid, but rather it's you sitting down with your kid and gospeling your own child. The church is to work simultaneously. That's why in all the stuff that we put out about our Mission Kids ministry here is that that we partner with parents in a gospel pursuit. But we are not the primary caregiver for those things. See, so many of us are in that stage where we're, we're trying to think about, man, how can we educate our, our, our kids? Um, what about college is maybe just a few years out? All these sorts of things. We would, we would never think about not, not giving our kids the best opportunities that we possibly can to, to learn English and history and math. And yet we don't teach them the word. We don't teach them the word, and parents. That's that's not their fault. That's our fault. It's happening in the home. Discipleship happens in the home, even with your, um, you know, your evil spawns of Satan, if that's what you want to call them, right? Even your reprobate children, right? Your unsaved kids. Uh, that, man, their emotions can turn like that, right? You'll you'll see them by the time they hit their tween years that they will, in one breath, do something that looks like a little bitty adult, only to, like, go and make another decision right after it that looks like a, a small, small child. But all of these things in regards to what Paul is saying to Timothy, we get this this great picture of what it must have been like. It's believed that Timothy's dad was probably a a Greek and not a Christian. And yet what happened was, is that ideal? No, but but mom and grandma didn't step back because daddy wasn't in the picture pastoring their kids. No, they stepped in even more to teach this young Timothy the word of God. It was that valuable to them more than sitting around a television set more than doing anything in your family more importantly than the family meal around the table is the family time around the bible it's teaching them those things it's teaching them how to wield the Word of God. And, and confessionally, I, I, I want you to know, and, and maybe, maybe I'm, I'm wrong at this. I, I don't think I am. But, and and I, could, I, could be, I could be classified as being hard on my kids. But one of the reasons why is, is because in the last days, as Timothy tells us. In, in, in the, the last days, there will be times of difficulty. There will be people who Will be lovers of self and lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Brothers and sisters, even if your child is yet to be converted, the, the, the world is a tough place to live in. And the easiest thing that we can do as parents is just passively allow for what our our kids, our students to, to do whatever they want to do. But I'm not thinking about how my decisions are affecting. Um, a 14-year-old and a 15-year-old right now. I'm thinking, Lord, by your grace, I want to be a faithful parent to them so that when they're out there in the real world... Outside of the the covering of the banner of their fatherly love, but when they are out there living on this in their world, and everything is going to come against them, and probably even more so than it came against me as a kid, and the decisions that they're going to have to make, and the the ways that the culture is going to try to make them to waver to and fro and to give up convictions, is man. I, I want my daughter specifically to be able to stand and say, hey hey. hey, I know I'm being drifted, I'm being pulled to to go this way, I'm being pulled to think uh, extremely liberally or to give over to sin, Satan, and death and the things that the the gospel of this world is preaching and yet I stand firm. My parents told me how to be persecuted, they told me how to suffer well, and they told me how to wield the word of God. And that's my aim. It's my aim. The most loving thing I can do is for 18 years protect my daughter's purity, teach her the word of God, more importantly, love Jesus and love her mama well, and then lovingly, tell her she needs to go in Jesus' name. And you can come back occasionally, but call beforehand, right? I may be in my robe, you know, I don't want you to just show up, (laughs) Right? And that, that's not rude. It's called parenting. There comes a time when you've got to go. But what I see as a college professor is a lot of students have been told to go, but they've not been taught. And it's, it's our responsibility to teach. Okay? You pick up the pieces. I don't care what kind of schooling you go to. We're not that church. I don't care. You do what works best for you and your kid. Because I can tell you about a lot of screw-ups in all those systems. Unfaithfulness in all of those systems. So we as parents step in as gospel-centered parents to teach our kids as, as this faithful grandmother and mother did to Timothy. Okay? As we continue, we see here the importance of the character of the teacher mattered. It mattered to Paul. It's like Timothy knew his mama. He knew his, his grandmother. He knew that those two things matched up by both what they preached and how they lived. Guess what happened? They 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 were joint together. They they matched up. And so why should then we continue in this understanding, in this equipping, and in this teaching? Well, it says in verse 16: all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. And and this side of the cross resurrection and and the blessing of the scripture that is found within us, I I think we we have to say as scripture would say that all scripture is then breathed out by God. Now, what's uh, interesting about this idea is that the Bible is divinely inspired word of God. Now, now this was um, the way that it was originally written through the Holy Spirit, guiding the affections, minds, and the pen of each author. Also, uh, that, that ability of God in His sovereignty to, to work in the lives of those authors while still allowing them to keep their personality, and yet it's no less the Word of God. Prose is to be read different than narrative, prophecy is different than narrative. All these things and the way in which God has allowed the the writing of the Scripture to, to be put together. But we must understand, brothers and sisters, that this is no ordinary book. This is no ordinary book. It was perfectly written without blemish and mistake or contradiction. It is God's plan. What's When you look inside your Bible, some of your translation may say all Scripture is breathed out or inspired by God. Inspired is kind of a, not the perfect word, the the better word is breathed out. And when you look at that in the Greek language, this is the only place that I've been able to find, and and I checked it with commentators and things like that, the, the term breathed out by God is only mentioned in your New Testament in all of Greek writing. Paul, like me, invented a word. I do it every Sunday. All right? And so Paul, he invents this, this idea of, of that's painting this picture that we see glimpses of throughout all of the Scripture, and that is this, no, that it is the, the literal breath of God. This is a God-breathed book. It is a God-breathed book. No other book that has ever been written has ever been breathed out by God. Let's face it, there are some great books out there. There are even some great books about the Bible out there. But it's important for us to understand this morning that great books about the Bible aren't the Bible. They're not breathed out by God. Case in point, I think Knowing God by J.I. Packer is one of the the greatest books within Christendom. If you've not read it, I would encourage you to do so. It's, It's an excellent book. About God, and yet it is not breathed out by God. The Bible that you hold in your hands, brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this is not just something that you put on a coffee table or keep in your vehicle, but it is something that is literally from the divine throne room of God. As God spoke creation into existence, so He spoke the Word of God. If this isn't the word of God, then what in the heck are we doing here? It's Sunday. There's sleeping in to do. There's football games to watch. There's lakes to go to. There's fishing to be had. All right? For me, there's, there's, there are deer now in the wood that are just waiting right now for me. They're like, huh, you didn't show up again. I'm like, yeah, I know, I had to go to church. this is the, I mean, do we really grasp that? And I don't think that we do. Right now, in your hands, you hold the word of God. Harry Potter, great book. Not the word of God. Popular book, not the word of God. Magic book, great. Not saying that there, there's anything wrong with reading other works. But what I am saying, there's something particular about this book and that it is the word of God, that it is his breath. Did you know the word Yahweh, which is kind of like the official name for God? Uh, literally, when you work it all out and you and you look at all of the the, the word pictures that we found in Greek that we don't find in the English language, because the English language is kind of weird, um, but inside of the Greek language, that not only are there definitions, but there ten, there's a tendency for there always to be a word picture associated with it. And so when even you say the name Yah. Wait, it is the sound of breathing that the very name of God carries with it the, the very breath of God, and he breathes here. He breathes the word so deceptive to live in modern times and I 'm so thankful for great Christian books and great christian authors but wouldn't it be so such a plan by the enemy to convince christians to spend more time reading books about the book than to read the book what a deceptive plan and yet we love to do it god breathes the word out and we take his breath in when we engage in the Word of God. God revealing God through the person and work in Jesus on every single page, through the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the Scripture, brothers and sisters, is way more about God and who He is than who we are and what we should do. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations about the Scripture with other people and start describing um, the God of the Scripture and it's as though I'm describing a foreign person to a professing believer. And it's because we don't know the word. In Matthew chapter 4, it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. This is during the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what an important reminder for Timothy, what an important reminder for us about the, the precious nature of the Word of God, that it was physically breathed out by God. And in that, that that more important than just the consumption within our own guts, filling it with the the foods of this world and God providing those, that even more than your next meal, what is way more important is your daily uh, taking in of the Word of God. It is better to starve from food and be gluttonous on the Word of God than to starve on the Word of God. And be obese on the things of this world. We learn here that as Paul continues in this passage. And profitable for teaching. For reproof for correction. And for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. We see here several different aspects of looking at the word of God. That it is profitable for teaching. What does that mean? That That it provides the doctrine that we need. This is God. This is who man is. And this is what God does about man's condition. And ultimately all of this is for God's glory. If you could think with me that that the teaching here of doctrine is the placing of the guardrails for you and our lives. He goes on to say reproof. That means it's bringing something to life. It's bringing something to light that that if we had these guardrails of the doctrine that is provided for us by the scripture, that if, if it comes to a person that is needing reproof that means that they have gotten off the track. If They've broken away, they've broken away from the guardrails. And so what does God do as a loving God? He, he brings correction. Well what is correction? Correction isn't punishment. It's doing whatever it takes to take you as a person and as an individual, to place you back within the guardrails or back within the track. And lastly, it's training. What else does God do through his word? Man, he, he teaches us then how to live in this path. And to teach your kid how to drive. You don't just throw them the keys and say, knock yourself out. Because guess what they'll do? Knock themselves out. And someone else. What do you do? For me, I started learning how to drive by sitting on my daddy's lap going down the road. Anybody else do that? And then you, your mama started getting brave. Daddy started getting brave. And she let me drive down to the end of the street with her sitting in the passenger side. It's, a, it's this stepping process with someone pouring, pouring into you that this, this has, these are the boundaries and these are good boundaries. And, and if you say, but, but dad, I just want to go off-roading. Right? There's a place for off-roading. It's called a field. Make sure you own it. Right? Got a whole story about being strip-searched in Georgia because I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. Somebody else's land. These boundaries are good. They're, they're there for you. They're, they're profitable for you. And so if you begin to wane, what, what does dad or mom do? They're like, hey, you got to straighten it up. Right? Break, 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 break. Red lights, red light, red light. There's a red light. Slow down, slow down, right? I mean, you're constantly redirecting. Why? Because you're looking out for safety. And so is the Word of God. We have many today who say they believe in the inspiration of Scripture but deny their belief by their practices. That they believe. This is the... This is the Word of God. And yet when you look at the practices of their life, the character of their lives, I know really smart people of which their character does not match the intellect of their biblical knowledge. They expect everyone else to respond like Christ because they know the addresses of these verses to sling at you, and yet it doesn't match in their own. That's the Pharisees. All right? They got degrees from seminaries. And they could tell you. The languages, they can tell you all sorts of things, but when it really gets down and you and you're living with these people and you have real discussions with their husbands or their wives or their kids or their coworkers and you and you really begin to talk about their 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 influence, their golly example, it is not matching what they know. And that's become so popular within our culture. Even more so on the other end of that is not the idea of knowing all of this stuff and not practicing it, but it, it's rather having a form of godliness that allows you to manipulate whatever God's Word says. Case in point, this lady, this person that I, that I know, she's been following Jesus for a really, really long time, and I was having a conversation with her recently, and this is what she said to me. She's like, I, I've just... I'm just completely convinced. I feel that God has told me not to be involved in a local church. God will never tell you that, just so you know. It's contradictory to his word contradictory to his certain words. So you got you got this mode of people, it's like, man, it's all about we gotta know, no, no, we gotta know all this stuff, know all this stuff, know all this stuff, and, and yet it doesn't play out in how they practically live out their lives. But then over here, you, you've got this version of, man, it, it don't you just your feelings about the word of God and what you think about God trump the reality of what his scripture says. Because what does the scripture say? Don't forsake the The gathering of the believers, it will tell you over and over again uh, to what to do in the church that these letters that we are learning about, what are they to? They're to the church. God is not going to tell you not to be involved in the local church. If anything, he's going to say, become more involved, become more devoted, lay down your life for the sake of the brotherhood and sisterhood around you. That's the calling, profitable for all of these things it's interesting living in a in a culture claiming to be christ-centered and yet biblical ignorance is the norm see the the scripture always whittling away at our simple desires found both in our doctrine and in our conduct Is what helps to to shape us into the image of Christ so that, that we can both follow Christ and be followed in Christ. It is sacred writing from the very mouth of God. It should be honored, read. It should be obeyed provides the track, it provides the guardrails, it allows us to stay on the narrow road, not strifle us, but but rather protect us. Because God is seeing this from what perspective? Eternities. Let me share this story with you. Um, you know, I grew up right down the road in, in Franklin, Kentucky, and um, for the first up until the fourth grade, we lived in a, a farmhouse um, way out on Dances Mill Road in, in, in Simpson County. And um, this was before we weren't well off or anything like that. We didn't live in one of those fancy houses. It was just an old farmhouse. And um, we didn't have a garbage disposal. And so I'm about to date myself and probably grow some of you out. Um, but we used to have what we called the slot bowl. Anybody grew up with a slot bowl in your house? Right? So Used to, because you don't want to put the slop. That's slop for those city folks in here. Let me educate you. Um, slop is all the scrappings from the cook, from the cooking, right? And typically what you would do is you had a bowl out on the table. I am mean, not on the table. That's gross. Um, like up on the counter somewhere, call that soup. Um, you'd have a bowl, and after each meal, everybody would scrape it off. Everybody follow me? Y'all looking at me like you're not from the south or something, Okay. You scrape all the slop, which you don't have pigs. We didn't have pigs, so you had to do something with it, and you didn't want to put it in the trash can because it makes the trash stink. So you'd have this bowl, and everybody would put their, their food, leftover food and everything in that bowl, and then it was my job, my chore at the house to take that to the field way, way back behind our house. And I was home one day, and it had started to rain, and my daddy came up to me, and he said, Bub, I want you to to go take uh, the slop bucket out. Go take the slop bowl out. It's gotten full. needs to go out. And he said, now son, I I want you to make sure that you take it to the field. Because we had a part that we mowed, and then we had a field way back behind the house. He said, I want you to take it way, way back behind the house, but like in the tall, tall grass, because... Because we don't want to put it right behind the house because it'll start to rot, make the house smell. It'll also attract animals and those sorts of things. Well, I get the slot bucket, and I think I'm real smart. My daddy told me a way to do it. But I wanted to do it my way. So I got the big slot bucket, and I snuck around the house, and I went right around the house, hugging the brick of the house. And then I dropped down on my knees... And I dumped that big old bucket of slop right behind the house. Because it was raining, I was lazy, and I thought I knew a better way. As I'm jumping that on my knees, I'm dumping that slop, I just happen I'm looking around. And all of a sudden, I look up. And in my ignorance, I had dumped it right underneath the kitchen window where my dad, and if you know my dad, when my dad gets a little little tight, he gets these really big eyeballs. And so I look up in the kitchen window, and my dad's like... (laughs) So I grab the bucket, and I go inside. I'm about to be beat down in the name of Jesus. I go in there, and of course my daddy, like God in the garden, where y'all at? Like he didn't know. Now, Bub, did you did you dump the slop where I told you to do it? Because why did I? I didn't lie to him because why? Well, I, I knew it was gonna make it worse if I did. I, I was caught. You ever been caught before? Some of y'all have been caught together. I've seen the pictures. You've been caught, right? Now, what does next? Some of you are gonna flip out? But it changed my life. My daddy he said, follow me, son. He Marched me out there, rained a little bit heavier, and he said, and this was a pile of slop. He said, why don't you to put all that in that, that bowl and take it where I told you. And I just stood there like, how do you want me to do that? And he said, you're going to do it with your hands. So I began to cry. I got down on my knees. And I began to scoop up all this nasty smelling slop. And put it. And it had to be clean. If You know, my dad, he's clean freak. He scoop it all up. I scooped up every bit of that with my hands. And I took it to where he told me to take it. Was my dad being mean? You know what he was being? A good daddy. It wasn't too long after that, all of our our pets, two cats and a dog, were killed in a single night because of animals. I think it was probably like a group of coyotes or something. Where was dad seeing it from? Big perspective, right? All I could see was the nasty chore I had to do. That would have benefited my family. It would have helped my family to take it, and it would have helped my family to take it where it needed to go. But I thought I knew a better way. I knew my own way. I knew God's way, this God. And I chose to go against it. And so my, my daddy, what did he do? He, he showed me doctrine. That's what he gave me before I ever went out. He showed me reproof. He showed me correction by placing me back on the track. And then he gave me training. And you know what I never did again? Dump the slot bucket behind the house. I did not want to live through that again. And much like, and even in a more powerful way, that is what the Word of God does. You're, you're going in the wrong direction. This is wrong. But no, this is the right way. We have literally come obese on the consumption of bread and food while starving biblically. And, and there is a much deeper, deeper, deeper need than bread, brothers and sisters. And it is that, that we at Mission Church, that we become the people of the Word of God. We live in a culture that is consumed with Christian culture and spirituality and let, let us all can be convinced of this though. We're, we're consumed with those things and yet we are bored with God. We're consumed with Christian goods and services and yet we are bored with God. God. Nothing tries to lead you more away and astray. We all got the ADD when we sit down to read the Bible, don't we? Nothing comes to us more. Even people who don't make lists, when they sit down to actually read the Bible, begin to start making a list of all the things that they need to get accomplished that day. It is that in that moment... That we actually sit down and just say, I'm going to read the Bible, and then then all this stuff begins to happen, and everything else, chaos, phone begins to ring, text messages, you just hear the luring of of the sirens called email calling out to you. That phone, that smartphone that's making us dumber in the Word of God is, is constantly beckoning out of us, touch us, play with us, look at us, educate yourself, check your email, check your Twitter, check your social media, check your Instagram, check it all over again, and we just end the cycle of checking all of this stuff and wondering what's going on in the world and all the while the word of God is is sitting there and yet we're consumed we can speak the language of Christian culture and yet we're really bored with God our culture isn't becoming less spiritual it's just becoming less about God the God of the Bible The God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and and, and David and Paul and the disciples that these men and women like Ruth and and Esther and and just all all of these faithful men and women of God who died for the very book that is in front of you because they they believed in the example and the person and work of Jesus that really this is the Word of God. And if we believed it more than anything else, we would want to be in it ever. Every day of our lives, we would not see it as a chore. We would see it as a joy. Every time I travel, my kids and my wife, they bless me with daily cards. Read on day one. Read on day two. I'm always tempted to just on day one to read all of them. I really want to know what they say on all these other days. But that anticipation of the realization of This is love, like this is home. These are people who know me. Man, if we could only see the scripture this way. I was talking to a friend recently going through a really bad, hard time and to the point where they needed to seek counseling from a Christian counselor. And I I wanted to lovingly, how can we say, I don't know if it's loving. I wanted to lovingly throat punch a counselor, Christian counselor, um, because they just told the person hey, man, you just need to read the Bible. And he was like, well, how do I do that? And, and they were like, well, just literally close your eyes and let the Bible fall open and read it. Judas hung himself. Well, I feel better. Brothers and sisters, God isn't calling us simply to read the Bible. He is calling us to study him, and there's a difference. But you gotta have a plan. It's gotta be mindful and purposeful. Why? So that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every for every good work. If you're not growing in your relationship with Jesus, brothers and sisters, friends, either one of two things is going on. One, you're not in the word, or two, you're not a Christian. God's word will not return void. It it does not lie dormant. It is an active two-edged sword. It is all God-breathed, all for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. It is the sufficiency of Scripture is what you need is not another gym membership. What you need is not another diet, is not another self-help book. What you need is a daily dose of pursuing after the character and nature of God through His Word. And so how do we respond to this? Brothers and sisters, confessionally this morning, quickly, I don't know about you, but there have been an occasion, especially when I've got my little pastor huddles and circles where I've been very jealous of all the other things that God has blessed or seemingly has blessed other churches with, and I've been a little bit embarrassed by what we don't have, all the while to be reminded of what we do have. And you know what that is? The Word of God. We are going to take it seriously here. I tell people all the time, yeah, if you come to mission, it's, it's because, one, we try to be a loving community to each other, and two, you can handle a lot of Bible, because that's, that's what we got, and I don't want to be ashamed of that, and it's not to say that our other brothers and sisters in churches don't have those things as well, but that's what we do have, and I want you to know, it's enough. Fads within the church are going to change right? I'll never forget the day when we used to think, Lord, I lift your name on high with the motions, even in Baptist churches, was the coolest, grandest thing on the planet. And I'm here to tell you, if Jonathan busts that out today, I'm going to do a proverbial eye roll of him, unless him and his kids do the motions with it, (laughs) all right? And then it's just going to become a new tradition, okay? Things we used to do and think were cool, I've seen so many white men fake crucified on a cross in my life. I don't ever need to see that again. So glad we're not doing that. It's weird. Nothing says welcome Sunday morning like a half-naked white man walking in from the back of the room to the front covered in fake blood and a towelette to get on a cross. We used to think that was hip and cool. This is going to win them. And yet if that was to happen today and Pastor Todd came wheeling in a cross, we'd think, man, this is ridiculous. Right? The fads of everything is going to change. You know what will not change? Jesus and his word. We must be baptized in the word. Many of you have been immersed in the water, but you are not immersed in the word. We must become that people. And I'm so excited about um, our women's Bible study. I think it should be less of an option and more of a priority. I'm excited that Pastor Todd for a long time and is opening up that invitation that on Tuesday mornings, if you'd like to join him for an hour, it's a, it's a steroid shot in the arm, an hour breakfast with other men um, leading each other in the scripture, praying with each other. If you'd like to join them on Tuesday mornings, 6.30 to 7.30 before you go to the office, brothers, or wherever it is that you work, man, he would, I would, Pastor Justin would. We would encourage you that because why? we're going to take the word seriously, I'm excited about um, the the women's thing coming up with Jen Wilkin. It's like, man, I wish I could go. I'm jealous of you ladies coming up here in a few weeks that you're going to go study the word from a woman of God who really knows the Bible so excited about the Theology for Women workshop that's coming up in November for our ladies to go away with, and brothers, we need to be good fathers taking care of our kids, we don't babysit, it's called being a dad, and we take care of our kids so that our wives can go and learn theology. I'm so excited about that. I'm excited about our, our monthly men's meeting that's going to be taking place, my discipleship group. If you're interested in, in wanting to be discipled, the craziness in, of schedules and all that sort of stuff, as I'm trying to hone it all in, I'm going to give, I'll give as many hours, as long as you want to stay on those nights, of discipling the men that come to that. First one's coming up, I think, September the 19th. If you want more information about any of these things I've mentioned, you can come see me. You can come see Pastor Todd, Pastor Justin. You can see uh, Nikki Kohler. Um, You can see all the people that are involved with these different things to learn how that you can be involved. I want you to get this. We must both have a private, daily dose of God's Word, but we also need a public one. And that can be one-on-one or one-on-group. Okay, but it needs to happen. We've got to become serious about God's word. We must fight the drift of being content with spiritual milk while God has given us so much more about Himself. We must become devoted to the, public, like, like I said, the private and public study of God's word. And, and this lastly, there is no replacement for a consistent daily study of God's Word. Why, though? It's not as an evil taskmaster, It's because our God, Abba, Father knows best and he's watching and he's trying to teach he's saying man this is best for you this is best for my glory this is best for our church family these are the things that you i want you to know me i mean think about that be humble for a moment the god of the universe is wanting to know his kids he is not an absent father he is not an absent father wants to know you and he wants you to know him so let's become serious about God's word